kind of player are you? Part two. In Act Two, Scene Three of Shakespeare's As You Like It, Jacques the Unmitigated Cynic says these famous lines, and I started out last week in Part One with these same words. All the world's a stage, and all men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. The meaning of this phrase is that this world is like a stage, and we human beings are merely actors. In fact, the speech is a continuance of the idea given by Orlando earlier in the play. So Shakespeare is drawing his attention to his readers toward a drama everyone lives and has to live throughout his or her life. And he is really reducing the life of human beings to a performance or an acting role that might look ridiculous. Simply, he means that all human beings are players and play their allotted roles in everyday lives. And you see, we live our lives as followers of Christ. We're in a real-life drama. For some, there's more drama than others. But nonetheless, drama for all. And it is a performance lived in acts for one, and that one being God Almighty. That is the point that hopefully as we think about this message that we think about our lives and how we live and how we act and what we say, that, that we're on, we are on a stage just like this one. That the, 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 our lives is a stage, and really the only one that we should be concerned about is our Heavenly Father, what He thinks. The life lived in seven stages, as Shakespeare writes. Here are those seven stages or acts. A puking infant, a whining schoolboy or girl, a young sighing lover, a soldier, a justice or upstanding leader, a silly old man or woman who thinks they are still young. Now, I know there's nobody in here like that. <laughs> it, I say things I shouldn't sometimes, but if there's things that freak you out, it's seeing a 90-year-old guy with cold black hair. That freaks me out. It, it's just not natural. I'm glad women dye their hair. Uh, I'm glad that they make themselves up and look good, and that's why Diane forbade me for dyeing my hair, because she wants people to say, What's that old man doing with that young chick? That's her ploy. I'm on to her. I know what she's thinking. But nonetheless, isn't it? It's just too weird. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just tough on me to see that, actually. And in number seven, is a super old man or woman, toothless, blind, and as helpless as a baby. You go to nursing homes and see people that you love. say people my age and older, I hope you're being good to your kids. Because <laughs> one day you, you want them hanging out with you. That, that is the point. That, that, that's the deal. Regardless of, of which of these stages you might be in or not in, doesn't matter what kind of player or actor are you. Is your performance for your Heavenly Father real or is it phony? Because He knows, believe me, He knows. He knows everything. God, one of God's attributes is omniscience. I, I, I think it's funny sometimes we as his children, we try to fool him, but it's, it's impossible. He most assuredly knows if you have any hypocrisy in you, even if it's only an ounce. Last week, 
Part one, we examine hypocrisy, a state of being that Jesus continually warned his followers to reject in their lives. 12.1, and Luke was the text. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and crushing each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of their hypocrisy. Beware. He shouts it out, and sometimes it almost leaps off the page at us. It's a dire warning. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus further enlightens us about hypocrisy. More warning. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Take care. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired, because then you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give a gift to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I assure you, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Verse 5, And now about prayer, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I assure you, that is all the reward they will ever get. And then in verse 16, he hits the third thing that Pharisees do. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. You try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I assure you, that is the only reward they will ever get. Jesus is saying this to us, even in this, in today. Be real and not phony. Play your part in your drama that God has given you to play in every act. You ever heard this phrase? Church is full of hypocrites. That's why I don't. Well, first off, that's a huge, bodacious excuse. An excuse is a lie wrapped in the skin of reason. And secondly, there's some truth in it. There really is. I mean, many of us fail to portray Jesus to an unbelieving world way too often. And when we do that, we appear to be phony. We speak of Jesus, we say we know him, but we sure don't talk and act like him sometimes. We like Peter around the campfire that day or that night. We deny him much too often. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, that same sermon, we are to be what? First, we're to be salt, to flavor society with our lives of Christ, to add a little spice to a flavorless society. And secondly, he tells us to be light. Jesus is the light of the world. We are to reflect that light into those dark worlds in which we work, in which we live, in which we go every day. We're to be mirrors. The light of Christ shines through us. It's not so much of who we are and what we say is reflecting him into this, this dark world. Jesus continually warns us not to be like the Pharisees who are hypocrites. Jesus warned that doing good works, acts of righteousness, so that others might see and praise you for what you do, would earn no reward from your Father in heaven. The phrase, acts of righteousness, can be translated different ways, but it means to do what is right. He pointed out three specific acts of righteousness, the Pharisees completed with great fanfare and notice, which was almsgiving, putting it in the plate, prayer, out in public so people could see him, and fasting. They would, I'm sure they didn't wear them bright, expensive robes when they were fasting. They wore old robes and they just they tried to make themselves look bad so people feel bad for them and see what great men that they were of God. All they were focused on was bringing honor to themselves. In these words, Jesus was focusing on the motive behind any good deed. God rewards good deeds done for his glory alone. And I, I do believe that's going to be the main issue at the Bema Seat of Christ, where you and I stand before him and the books are open on how we lived as believers. A lot of us have done great things for God. 
But the ones that we did to gain honor or respect, they're going to be wiped out. They're going to be burned up. The only thing that lasts is what we did for Christ with a pure, sincere motive. I think a lot of things have been done in the kingdom with a pure, sincere motive when the person got into it. But when the limelight started to come and the fame and the fortune, it changed folks. And I think that's exactly the point of what Jesus is trying to say here. We do things for God's glory alone. That's how you and I should live for an audience of one. What kind of player are you, beloved, in your life, in your drama? As we said here this morning, only you can answer that. You're helping write the script. You decide, how am I going to be today? What am I going to say in this certain situation? In today's world... The notion is that a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another. A person who is two-faced, who is inconsistent or phony. Jesus' teaching goes deeper than this. The Greek word used here is apoprateia, meaning stage actors. We see how phoniness enters in when folks claim to be someone that they really are not. They're just acting the role. And when the audience is gone, they revert to their true self to someone quite different. And that's why I yammer incessantly about who we are at home. Our spouses know us. <laughs> they live with the monster. They've seen that side. And, and I think that door swings both ways. It's how we act at home with each other, even if there's no children involved. How can we be Christ to each other if we don't live it at home? That, that is my point. And that's, it is the hardest place to live. God, an audience of one, you and I am on his stage 24-7, 365 days a year. We are living this part. We are not acting. You shouldn't act out anything. You should live it. That's the point. Jesus, in his teaching, develops the warning that hypocrisy is a very sad and poignant state of events, but it can be overcome if one falls victim to it. In fact, Jesus describes hypocrites as the sad state of a person who reduces himself or herself to an actor on a stage. Because that person has not realized that God, an audience of one, is who we should be concerned about pleasing in all that we do, in all that we say. There are many people who live their lives in a desperate search for human approval and applause. It's why they exist. It's what gets them out of bed in the morning. It's what propels them through the day. They discern their dignity, dignity and worth, not from God, who is a stranger to them, but from what other human beings think of them. They are willing to adapt themselves only in a dramatic way to win approval. They are willing to play many roles and wear many masks to give the audience what they want, seeking applause and approval, which quickly fades away. I could stand here this morning and go through a list of, of probably actors, actresses, I don't think they call them that anymore, that's what I call them, sports figures, political people, and a lot of you younger people would not have a clue who I'm talking about. At one time, though, they were at the top, the extreme top. 
Glory fades. Fame fades. After a while, you sometimes are almost completely forgotten. Jesus said to his disciples, Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. The heart of hypocrisy is the goal to be seen, to be out in public, to be the center, to please themselves and win applause. And they engage in actions in order that people may see them. It's the sad picture of a lonely actor on a stage performing whatever role is required to win approval from the current, current audience. It doesn't matter what's inside them. It doesn't matter what they believe or what they want in life. They have got to that point that all that matters is that they please the crowd. And it has affected every facet of their life. To please themselves and win applause. They engage in actions in order that people may see them. Their inner core, their deepest self, is repressed and replaced by the demands of others. I've always heard if you don't fill your calendar out, somebody will fill it out for you. It's the same way in life. If you don't set your life upon the solid rock of Christ and allow Him to work in your life, somebody else will set your agenda. It's a true heart and description of hypocrisy. Many take this desperate need for approval from others to a very destructive extremes. You see it in youth, you see it in middle age, sometimes you even see it in senior citizens. That's the most interesting man in the world, he can tell you that. Sadly, some never outgrow it or understand it. But as followers of Christ, we live for an audience of one. We live for an audience of one. Can you say that with me? We live for an audience of one. Go a little deeper. Say, I. I live for an audience of one. Let that sink in. If you don't hear anything else I've said this morning, you, we have to come to grips with that. Yet we want to we want to please others and we want to be upstanding, respectable citizens. But this is what's most important. It took me too, way too many years to get a grip on it. And if we please and obey Him, everything in our lives comes together in His blessings upon us. Youth will do risky things to fit in. Peer pressure can be very, very, very strong. Adults will compromise principles in order to fit in or be liked, gain promotion, or gain earn access. Some followers of Christ will hide their faith, playing a role of someone of the world in order to win approval. Why does this happen to a person? Here Jesus is very clear. This happens to a person who does not know God the Father like they should. They haven't been obedient. They're not in the Word. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit. So they're they're out there. It's uh, separating ourselves a little bit from God. They may know about God, but they do not personally know God or His great love for them. Even some people who attend church regularly see God and experience God as a stranger. Keith Green, singer-songwriter, dying to play creation of age. Going to church doesn't make you a believer anymore and going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's what's in you. It's what your relationship with Christ is about. And we need church and we need each other. That's part of the problem. Notice the remedy Jesus assigns for each example of hypocrisy and sights. Your Heavenly Father who sees in secret will pay you for giving alms. Your Heavenly Father who sees in secret will pay you for praying. Your Heavenly Father who sees what is hidden or pay you for your fasting. The remedy for hypocrisy is finally coming to grips and 
fully understanding that we should live our lives for an audience of one and only one. When we experience God and the Father's love for us, His goodwill for us, His blessings for us, then we become less and less concerned what others think. Men's approval becomes not important. God's approval satisfies our lives. You notice the intimacy Jesus sets forth. He says of God, He is your heavenly Father. He is not merely the deity. He is not merely God in heaven. He is not even merely Father. He is your heavenly Father. He is the one who created you. He is the one that sustains you and provides for you and loves you and gives you a supernatural gift or gifts to do His will in the world. And He gives us a plan and a purpose. He is the one. He is the one that we should live our lives for. And it, it, it's hard because sometimes our, our minds are a little fuzzy on that. I, I've always said this, it's impossible. For a moment, just in an instant, we could stand before the throne of God Almighty and He would tell us in His voice how valuable he does it through the Holy Spirit. Boy, hey, I, I always wish that I would be like Paul and transport out of my body, transported out of my body and into heaven and God would say that. We don't know each other completely. We think we do. We see each other on Sundays. We don't know what kind of lives we've lived. We don't know the abuse that some of us have suffered. You don't know what it was like as a child for you. God knows all that. How does a person assess his or her worth? How do you, as a human being, assess your worth in this world? Where does your value come from? A student's worth is measured by grade point average. A pitcher's is earned by earned run. A career professional is by salary, a sales clerk by commission. Good. God measures your worth with no numbers, no calculations, no ratio. You simply bear God's image. Your life was worth God's son. And your future is in God's home. And today, as you rise from your seat to leave this place, be a person filled with value, known intimately by God, destined for greatness. Shed those inferiorities. You are a son or daughter of the Almighty live for an audience of one. What kind of player or actor are you in God's drama of your life? I measured, I've measured my life in decades. Of what kind of person I was in six decades. And I go back and I look at that and I know exactly what I'm talking about because that, that was me. People please Everybody, you want everybody to like you. I don't care what it costs you. I don't care what kind of fool that you have to make yourself. But you and your life, you've got to do everything within you to make everybody like you. Started as a kid. I don't remember so much about the 20s and 30s. And most of my children was a great thing. When I turned 40, it was, it was a different world. I, I think. This is my call, and like I said, I'm not a psychologist. I think men 
A lot of men get wacky in their 40s. They want sports cars and they want other things in life. And tragically, sometimes they want a younger woman. It makes them feel alive. So they destroy the family and move on, leaving behind broken pieces. It wasn't so much that with me. I was in church, Church of the God General Conference, and in the Church of the God General Conference, every denomination has a mecca. Ours was Finley, Ohio. And more than anything else, I wanted to be a big shot in mecca. I wanted people to say, look at me. Look at this guy. He has, he has risen in the church world. He is successful. And at that time in life, I had probably seven suits, shirt and tie most of the time. Well, finally, I finagled my way into getting to be on commissions in Mecca. So I go over there three or four times a year, go to these meetings. And <laughs> I look back on it now. I can't believe it was me, actually. So I pack all my suits up and wear a different suit. But you know, one day God got my attention. So now what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's good to be. It's good to serve in the hierarchy of the church, but wrong heart, wrong motive. So, out of one of my millionth times of repenting, I had to repent, and I got through that. And, and, and when I turned fifty, it was like walking through that curtain going in another door, because all this other stuff, all this wrong motive was gone. And it's like God gave me new glasses. And all at once, all that mattered were people. And that's the way it should have been in the beginning. All that mattered in my life was relationships. My relationship to my wife, to Christ, to those around me. So I'd say the 50s was a little easier for me than the 40s, because I had got rid of this this other stuff. I, I, I didn't so much play the Pharisee in the three years that they said, but in, in a way, in a way that I did. What about you? Are you living for others' approval right now in your life? You know who you are. Or maybe, maybe you're old. And maybe you had a father or a mother that drilled in you, bam, bam, every day. You got to be successful. You got to go to college. You got to make a lot of money, and you got to make a name for yourself. Why? So I will be proud of you. And people will look at me and say, "What a great parent!" People carry scars like that because it affects everything you do in life. Because even if that parent or that person that did that to you is dead and buried. It still lingers in your mind, and you can still hear the voices. We need to get rid of those voices. We need to hear His voice. That is the point this morning. Are you living your life, every area, for an audience of one? If so, praise God. That would be your heavenly Father. If you need to pray this morning, I, I want you to, to pray in your seat if you need prayed for. This altar, which is symbol of bringing all the trash and stuff in our life and dumping at the feet of Jesus and getting it free. That is your prerogative this morning, but it's open. We will pray with you. Would you bow your head with me, please?
It's awesome to realize today was in God's mind and plan long before this earth was created. He knew you would be where you are at this very moment, living in your present circumstances, facing the kind of pressures you're enduring, and experience this moment of quiet reflection. So as you bow this morning, thank Him. Turn over the controls of your life to Him. Admit your weakness, your hypocrisy, your tendency to worry, your deep need of presence and counsel in your life. Just take a few minutes right now to become completely preoccupied with God, who has lovingly brought you to this place. Lord, you are a good, good Father, and uh, it's hard for us to comprehend how good you really are. I know it because I'm still breathing, still walking around, still being able to serve. I know there's numerous times that you could have taken me home, and you chose not to. So right now, Lord, as we ponder these things, I pray you're first in our lives. And not just on Sunday morning. I fear, God, that way too many of us, we, we're here with you, and we love you, and we're conversing with you, and we're hanging with you. And when we leave, we get to that front door and say, you know, Lord, here's a chair for you. Why don't you just sit there and wait for me? And I'll be back next Sunday, and I'll pick you up, and we'll go in and sit together. It's not supposed to be like that. The way it's supposed to be, Lord, is that... Uh, in this drama of life, we are living our lives to please you because we know that's best. And we know that we'll be better spouses, better parents, better brothers and sisters, just better citizens all over if we do that. So right now, God, touch these hearts this morning, the ones that are broken, bring healing. We ask these things in the name of Christ.